The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning. I will be reading Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are in delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice, twice have I heard this, that the power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you were rendered to man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marissa. If you um, missed last week's sermon, I hope that you will go back and listen to it online. Um, we dealt with the whole idea of identity, and we're going to continue to do that this morning um, as we go back to Psalm 62. So before we do that, let's pray together and ask God to open our hearts to Him. Father, we do pray that You would open our hearts to Your Word. God, we have so many sicknesses in our souls and we don't even see them. We're not even aware of them. God, probably the most deadly sin sicknesses that we have are the ones that we're utterly blind to. And so we pray this morning that you would send your spirit to open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to see into our souls, to identify the sickness that needs to be dealt with. Because you are a healer. You are the resurrection and the life. You bring life out of dead things. And so, God, I pray this morning that's what you would do by your word. But we need you to do surgery on us. God, we need you to pierce us. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to drive away the skepticism. We need you to give us ears to hear. So would you do it for your glory and for the good of your people and the good of your church that we might even taste revival, that we might even see conversions in this place this morning of those that walked in here not believing and yet walk out believing. We believe that you can do that. Because you are a life-giving God. Bring life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Rachel and I are leaving this coming Saturday for four months. Uh, we are going on a sabbatical. As I stated last week, we um, applied for a grant and we were awarded that grant by the Lilly Foundation. 
And the Lilly Foundation does this for churches across the country. They give about $7.5 million a year away simply so that uh, clergy, pastors, can take a break. And you have to apply for this grant, and uh, we did once and were turned down. We did again, and, and we were granted it. Um, but when, as I was applying the first time, I read that the recommended, in, in all their studies and all their research, the recommended length of time for a sabbatical was four months, and my immediate response was, no way. And so I was working with Richard Bush, and and he was. Uh, we were talking one day by phone, and and um, he noticed that I had written that I was going to take a couple of months off. And he said, Richard, you you see in the material that they're recommending four months, and I I remember it like as yesterday. I said, Yeah, 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 but I, I could never do that. And Richard said this. He said, Then that's probably the exact amount of time you need to take off. And I, that stuck with me to a degree that I began to realize that I'm not sure I know who I am without doing ministry. I've been doing ministry. I was called to the ministry when I was 16 years old, right after I was converted. I knew I was doing ministry since then. It is all I know. It's all I really remember. Who am I without doing ministry? That is a major focus. That's why we're looking at Psalm 62, because this will be where I live for the next four months. Uh, This will be where I camp out. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for He is my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, and my fortress, I will not be greatly shaken. As I have prepared for this sabbatical, I have struggled with my own identity. I know that some, many, even in my own family, are judging me for taking four months off. And because work is such an idol of mine, That's like the worst thing you can do is think, oh yeah, that lazy pastor. So I've struggled with my own identity in thinking about what others are thinking about my sabbatical. And yet, as I wrestle through this, and as I have been driven to this whole reality of what is Sabbath? What is rest? It's not just a vacation. That was in all the material. This is not just a vacation. This is a Sabbath rest. As I've studied what is Sabbath, what I have grown to realize is that Sabbath is that which we have utterly, utterly forsaken in the church and in our lives as Christians. And I am to blame. (laughs) And we're all to blame. I was given the idea that Sabbath was just simply doing nothing but going to church. I mean, when preachers talk about Sabbath, they give you the guilt trip. you got to be at church. And that's true. But you don't have to be at church for church's sake. But you come to church because, as Hebrews 4 points out clearly, God, for God's people, is our rest. 
When God gave us the Sabbath before the fall, it was a blessing so that we could stop our labor and fully focus on the reality that He is our rest. That we are not God, but He is. That we don't feed ourselves, we're not providers. He just allows us, like a grown father allows his two or three year old son to help in the yard. And boy, doesn't that two or three year old son think he's something for helping? And yeah, our God goes, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're, you're something. Oh, but look at what I've done. Yeah, okay. Alright, that's, you, you're missing it. I, I give you six days to work with me. I give you six days to be with me. I don't give you six days to justify your existence and to make you feel proud and to build you up in your... My, my. We are to take, as Exodus 35.2 says, a Sabbath to the Lord. This side of the fall, what we have to do, literally, is because uh, we are full of sin and our hearts are deceitful above all things, what we've got to do is take a day off that we might reorient our hearts, our minds, our souls to the reality that we are gods. That we are a child of God. As Paul saying that, it was piercing my soul. And I have a feeling it was piercing your soul. Why? Because that's, for, that's the very thing for which we were made. To believe that with our heart and soul that my identity is that I am a child of God. My work doesn't define me. My marriage doesn't define me. My lack of a marriage doesn't define me. My hobbies don't define me. My looks don't define me. My talents don't define me. My preaching doesn't define me. My singing doesn't define me. My art doesn't define me. Nothing defines me but the reality that I am a child of God. And Jesus came to free us for that reality. And we've got to take a day off to get reoriented to that reality. And not only that, you look at the economy uh, of, of Israel and every after every six years, they were to take a year off. And for the seventh cycle of that, the 49th year, they were to take off. And then they were to take off a year of Jubilee. It was two years off. Are you kidding me? Would I be irrelevant if I came back after two years? If I showed back up at my work, would I be irrelevant? Am I irrelevant without my work? David's struggling with this. You see, identity is that which we give the power to define us. And David is is having the potential of an identity crisis. He's already had one, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But he's much better on this side of that identity crisis because he he has people that are making that that are um, really wanting his job. They think they would be a better king, and so they're they're spreading rumors about him and falsehoods. They're saying, "Oh, King David! Oh, they're blessing him to his face." But behind, we're they're saying, "How are we going to get that sucker off the throne?" They want his job. They want to bring the high one low. They want to knock David off. And David could have called a press conference. David could have had their heads, but he didn't do that. But David says, in God alone, my soul waits in silence. For he is my salvation. And God alone is my rock and my salvation. 
and my fortress, I will not be greatly shaken. Last week we looked at kind of the history of identity. We looked at traditional uh, ancient identity and then we looked at modern identity. I'm not going to go over that again. I hope that you'll listen to that sermon because I really think it's important, uh, the information that I was giving. But you see, it's neither the ancient identity nor the modern identity that we are shooting for. It is the Christian identity. Christ has come that we might identify as God's people. Not that we might fight one generation to another. Oh, we're better than you. No, we're better. Yeah. No, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Neither one of you are worth much of anything outside of God's grace. I mean, that, that's the gospel. That is the Christian identity. It's not feel bad for feeling bad's sake, but it's acknowledge the reality of your weakness and your sin so that you can understand what your true created identity is, and that is that I'm a child of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the reorientation of our identity. So how do we get a Christian identity? Number one, we have to understand that our soul is not neutral. We are not neutral beings. We are highly impressionable. Last week we looked at uh, verse 1. I've already probably quoted it three times. For God alone my soul waits in silence. But notice in verse 5 what what does David do? For God alone... Oh, my soul, wait in silence. So we go from, and we've all had, we all experienced this. For God, God alone, my soul waits. We've all, we've been there. Ah, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. But we've also been probably over here a whole lot more having to tell our souls, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. Say no to that. Wait in silence. You see, we, if we're not waiting for God in silence for our salvation, we are filling that space with something else. If we're not pushing our lives toward God, then some other God is taking over. If we're not waiting on God, we have given ourselves to other gods. That's why we need the Sabbath. This really came to mind to me this week. Uh, Rachel and I went to a marriage seminar with uh, a couple of other couples in ministry in this body. And Layla Todd and Brent Stenberg, friends of this congregation, did a uh, seminar once a month for the last three or four months. And this was our last one until the fall. And we were dealing with uh, devices, iPads, iPhones. Man, I got two up here. I didn't think about it. Uh, uh, You know, we we were talking about devices, and they were looking at... um, this, I think it's got to be a new book, 12 Ways Our Phones Are Changing Us by Tony Rinke. 12 Ways Our Phones Are Changing Us by Tony Rinke. Um, and then they recommended a TED Talk by Sherry Tuckle. Uh, she's a psychologist, and uh, just Google that. You've got to watch it this afternoon, sometime this week. Um, Sherry uh, T- Turkle. Um, and it's called Connected But Alone. It's a question. It's kind of hard to... Connected but alone. Uh, just Google that, and you'll get it. Um, 
And the, the TED Talk was really fascinating because what she is saying, I mean, she literally said that, um, that smartphones and devices are changing our psyche. And it's interesting, if you look at the Greek word for soul, it is psyche. Um, and, and what David is saying is that I'm going to let God define my soul. I'm going to let Him be the food of my soul. But today, the food of our soul are our devices and being connected. And she said that there are three reasons, really three fantasies that we're feeding by the use of our devices. The first is we can put our attention wherever we want it to be. That is a gratifying fantasy. I don't have to listen. If, if, if one of you is talking to me and I get kind of bored, I can just, you know, I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah, I'm listening. You don't control my, my attention. I, cr- I control my attention. All right? Number two, we will always be heard. I'm important. What I say matters. So I'm going to be heard. Matter of fact, I'm going to publish everything I think on Facebook. I'm going to tweet everything I think. There you go. But then thirdly, she says, and this is where we're going to camp a little while, the the, the third gratifying fantasy is we will never have to be alone. Wow. And this is a fantasy, this is the fantasy that she thinks most of all is reshaping our psyche. The illusion we never have to experience a moment that we feel alone is really dangerous. The urge to be on our devices at dinner table, on dates with our spouse, at uh, lunch with our friends, at work and in business meetings, in church right now. The, the feeling that we just can't be occupied by nothing can really, you know, I've got to be in control and I can't feel alone. That this is a fantasy that is being fed by our devices that is really cutting us off. Her point was from each other, but it's really ultimately for the Christian, for God. Because here's what we're doing. If being alone, even for a few seconds, makes us panicked and fidgety, And if we view being alone, if we view solitude and silence a problem that needs to be solved, we will never know God. If we can't be alone, it's in solitude. That is the only place that we meet God. It's the only time that our souls feast on Him. And if we are filling every single second, every single thought, and if your thing is not devices, wow, you're amazing. However, you've got something. It may be a book. It may be a drawing board for the next project. It may be what? It may just be TV, Netflix. It's something. How do I know? Because I know very few, if any, people that really have a prayer life. Because nobody knows solitude anymore. Because we're all too busy for solitude. It's only in silence that we find God. This is changing our psyche, Miss Turkle says. She says, this is our new cultural mantra. You've got to think about this. You've got to go with me. Here's our new cultural mantra. I share, therefore I am. 
Think about that. She said, used to, you would have a feeling and then you would call a friend and say, can we hang out? Used to, we would have a feeling and we'd run out our door, we'd get our brother, our sister, we'd get face-to-face time. Now, in order to get a feeling, we share and we post. Think about that for a minute. Do you know why it's such a dangerous fantasy? And that's what we're living, is a fantasy. Because we're not really connecting as God made us to connect. God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So he made the first iPhone. Thank you, Jesus. No. (laughs) I mean, it's so obvious that it is funny. But it's horrible. God said it's not good for the man to be alone. So look at this amazing pinnacle of my creation that I'm going to make for you. Oh, she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is what I was made for. But even she and even he were really just tools that we might be filled by God. It's such a fantasy that we're connecting through our devices. Every study reveals that only 7% of our communication is verbal. I mean, look at it. Look at me this morning. I mean, I'm, I'm everywhere, you know. Look, I'm throwing my body around. I'm emphasizing. I'm, you know, I'm, you know. If I just stood up here, even this would be some communication, you know. But you're getting nothing. Let's text Michael Davis right now. What's, what's up, man? That's right. <laughs> of real communication is body language and physical contact. You're not connecting. And that's why you're so lonely, and that's why I'm so lonely. Because we're too busy to actually meet somebody. We're too busy to actually cook a meal and have somebody to our house. We're too busy to actually be somewhere with someone. To get from isolation to connection, we have to cultivate the capacity for solitude. Now, this is just even relationally. I mean, even relationally, if I'm not in solitude, I give you nothing. All I got is if I'm constant energy from the moment, I mean, I'm even sleeping with my phone, I'm waking up with it. If this is all I'm doing, all I got for you is an emoji or a gif, then I got nothing. I got nothing to give to you when we actually meet face to face. And you, do you understand that our teenagers today, some of them are crying out saying, I don't even know how to have a conversation. And it's not funny. They mean it. They don't know how to date. They don't know how to be with someone of the opposite sex. They don't understand how to do human. Why? Because we have allowed it. Because we've made it normal and we are modeling it to our children. We're disconnected and we are showing them very effectively how to be as lonely and disconnected as we are. Do you understand that this is the core of what we have to attack as God's people? It's not self. I love my iPhone. 
I love my iPad. Man, I hadn't had to bring up paper for a sermon in a long time. It is so, but I need to use it and I shouldn't let it use me. I mean, that's the whole reality. See, without solitude, we are never connecting with God. And we're alone. And so, so there's the issue. We are not connecting with God. And real identity with God only comes in this, in this manner. In God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. Wait. Focus on His Word. Fill your heart with His Word. Fill your mind with His Word. And wait. Don't just read the Word and think you've had a devotion. Wait. Wait for God. Talk to God. Tell Him what you need. Tell Him you're lonely. Tell Him you don't even know how to wait. Cry out to Him. Tell Him you hate Him if you hate Him. Tell Him you think he, he's, he is, uh, he's been unfair to you. Tell Him. That's what the psalmists are doing. But they have a relationship. They're talking. They're interacting. They're lamenting. Most of the psalms are not happy positive. Oh, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it. No, it's God, I hate you that you made this day. I mean, but there's interaction. They go to God, not their cell phones. They go to God, not TV. They go to God, not alcohol. They go to God, not whatever it is. Do you see it? Yes. So number two, we have to intentionally direct our lives toward God. David said, for God alone, O my soul, wait. Do you see the intentionality? Here's the issue. These guys are making fun of me. They want to take me down. I'll hold a press conference. I mean, he could have just tried to control the whole thing. I'm going to pull out a strategy. and I'm. But he didn't do that. Maybe he did after waiting for God, but he didn't. He said, O soul, wait for God and wait for Him alone. We are not merely physical. We are spiritual beings. And and we are fed by God and God alone. If we are not going to God, then we are... And we are prayerless and wordless. Then God is not our identity. And we have developed habits... Um, that have formed us in a different direction. And I want to talk about habits for a minute. Um, I did, I've done a, some research on habits and it's really been fascinating. And um, habits are formed in three ways, three steps. First, there's a trigger. Alright, there's a trigger or a cue. Something happens, there's some circumstance, something and that, that motivates behavior that may become an addiction. But then there's a reward. So there's a cue or a trigger. A lot of, you know, AA uses the trigger uh, word. What's your trigger? Um, um, diet plans, a lot of plans. You know, what's your trigger? What's the behavior? And then what's the reward? What are you getting out of it? For me, uh, I've got a lot of triggers, but one is stress. And especially relational stress. If I feel like I'm letting someone down, if I feel like um, I've hurt somebody, or you know, and believe me, in my job with so much human interaction, there's it, right. I need to wait alone in silence a lot uh, because it's my job uh, to deal with people. Uh, the church would be my job would be a lot easier if I didn't have people, you know, to deal with. I mean. Your life would be uh, better too, probably, if you didn't have, but you get what I'm saying. So, 
when I feel the stress of whatever it is, uh, sometimes I go straight to God. Sometimes I go to a bag of Doritos and Law and Order on TV. And what do I get out of that? There's my behavior. There's my trigger. Stress, relationship. Oh, man, you know, bag of Doritos, Law and Order. What do I? Get? What is my reward? Instant gratification, man. Is there anything that tastes better than a Dorito? There is. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I mean, I can get lost in a bag of Doritos and Law and Order or Chicago PD or I could just, you know. But then I feel like I feel worthless. It doesn't feed my soul. It doesn't change anything. And so, you know, what is it for you? We have to be so intentional. We have to begin to think and use our minds. Why is it that I go to this behavior? Uh, the reason um, that AA is so effective is not necessarily that it's the only plan that works. In fact, um, we were told, sociologists, psychologists tell us that there are a thousand different ways to break habits, and that's the problem. But here's the reality. You have to have a plan. And that's what's the beauty of AA is, is you've got 12 steps. You don't have to think. You just have to do. You've got to walk. And you've got a community around you. And you've got vulnerability and confession. And that's how you break the habit. That's how you break the addiction. You're working the steps. And you're calling when you need help. And you're not alone. And you're moving forward. There are 12 steps. Are they magical? Well, some would say they are. But we could have you know, some other steps. That's what professionals say. But this is proven. And so when we look at David, we say, well, what was his trigger? His trigger was that people were gossiping and speaking lies. And people-pleasing is one of our highest addictions. We want people to love us. Why? Because we were made to be loved. We weren't made for this fallen world. I tell people that all the time. Oh, this is so hard. Right, it's hard. Because you weren't made to live in the fallen world in which we live. None of us were. That's why, I mean, someone dies, oh, I'm just having trouble dealing with it. Of course you're having trouble dealing with it. There'd be something wrong with you if it just naturally, oh, I can deal with the death. No. Or I can deal with loss, or I can deal with my... No, we weren't made for this. We were made for glory. We were made for another land. And... And so, and so David in the past, do you remember how he used to handle stress or handle? He had an affair. Sex. Man, is that huge in our day? How many people run to sex as, you know, as the behavior that's going to give them the satisfaction that's only going to leave them more lonely? You see that cycle? Whatever it is. Put, I mean, sex is no better than, I mean, work, work. Well, at least you're getting something done and making, but you can use work as much as you can use sex. I mean, you can use anything because we're just that good at idolatry. So now David goes intentionally to God alone. And so what we need to do, there's really three steps of breaking a habit. The first is to identify the habit loop. Look at what is driving you to the behavior. All right? I can say stress, but I've got to get down. I've got to say, okay, it's stress, but why? It's really pleasing that person. It's really pleasing them. So when I feel like I'm not pleasing someone, that's when I'm, I feel like I've got to, you know, oh man, I just don't want to think about that. Let me get on here. I'll look at Facebook a little while or, you know, I'll go to the Doritos. I'll get home or, you know. 
Okay? There's the trigger. You've got to identify it. Why are you getting up and getting a cookie at 3 o'clock every day at work? You could be bored with work. Maybe boredom is it. So get up and go walk around. I mean, there's all kinds, you know, identify the habit loop. But then secondly, do something different. This is what David is saying. Verse 8, pour out your heart before him. Instead of pouring out your heart to what these guys are saying about you, you pour out your heart to God. Instead of going home and, and telling everybody what a victim you are, pour your heart pull your heart out to God. Do something different. Pour your heart out to God. In verse 10, he states it negatively. Set not your heart on them, on riches. Don't run to riches. Don't run to extortion. Don't run to robbery. Those are just easy answers to, uh, uh, um, easy false answers. These are gratifying fantasies, but extortion and riches are not going to solve your problem. God is going to solve your problem. Do something different. Trust in Him, verse 10. Trust in Him at all times. And then get the reward of being truly satisfied by God alone. Rachel and I, since, you know, I I think we're getting close to understanding how to be empty nesters. Uh, It's been a hard adjustment, hasn't it, honey? It's been a hard adjustment. But one one habit, we've we've had to develop new habits. And one habit is um, I cook steak a whole lot more than I used to. Um, We actually have more money now that we got a lot of kids off the payroll and... Um, so I'll go to Kroger my off day on Mondays a lot of time I go to the gym I work out I go to Kroger and I buy these little fillets the the Kroger Angus Choice Fillet um, $20.99 a pound alright there you go amen uh, I get it home I, I put the dry rub on it I heat my, my grill up to about 600 I put some hickory chips in there I get that meat I go about two, two and a half maybe three minutes on each side and then I put butter on the top of both of them and I shut the grill off and that smoke just goes in it's just pounding man and so is my heart you know just pounding <laughs> pull it off it's like, hallelujah. That's food for my body. It's satisfying to my body. But what do I feed my soul? God. Do you understand you were created to be satisfied? But work isn't going to satisfy you. Sex is not going to satisfy you. That whatever that is, and most of our idols are good things. Most of our idols we should go to God for. We need to be working. Uh, we should be having sex if we're in marriage. We, uh, we, all of these are good things, most of them. God does want to satisfy that. He wants us to see how good He is because we're in relationship with the Heavenly Father. But if He is not our ultimate satisfaction, then everything else will be idols and we will be left alone and dissatisfied. So God is the stake for our soul. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. 
We need a God who's powerful enough to fill our souls and loving enough to meet us. And that's what our God is like. So, let's look at, just in closing, how we go to God. Five things that are all over the page here. Go to Him to hide and be protected. Several times, He is our refuge. He is our fortress. We don't have fortresses today. I don't, you know, we really don't have refuge. Um, I mean, I love to duck hunt, and I, I don't like refuges because that's where ducks can go and be safe from guys like me. But that's the analogy that I get. I don't know, you know, a refuge out west would be elk, you know, and all the sheep, and nobody can hunt, and the animals are safe. You see, what we really want with our devices is we want protection. We want a place to hide. We want, a, we want the safety net of just let me be right here and just rest. And nothing will give us that but God alone. Go to Him and hide and be protected. Secondly, go to Him for salvation. Our modern identity is has one thing, it has one mantra, and that is the only thing we need to be saved from is the, 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 the assumption that we need to be saved. That's our whole world. None of us need to be saved. You go find your own truth, right? It's a lie from the pit of hell. Go to Him for salvation. He is one who will save you. How will He save you? He is the God that you were made for. He is your real husband, wife. He is your real brother, friend. And He knows you. He knows you've betrayed Him. He knows you've cheated on Him. He knows that that you've lived in the opposite direction. What did He do? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to save you. He didn't come to condemn you. We hear that so little in the church today. The church says, live like this and then God, vote like this and then God will love. Do, even in our, even in the liberal side, start doing justice and then you're the righteous one. No! Stop from your evil work. Stop from your damnable good deeds. And rest in Jesus alone for salvation. Alone for salvation. Because He is what feeds your soul. He is your salvation. Because it's through faith in the finished work of Jesus that God says, you're my child. And nothing is going to rip my fingers off you. Oh God, but you don't know me. Oh yes, I do. You know how arrogant that is? Oh, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. Uh, Right. says, I was there when you were made, little one. I was in the womb crafting you. Tell me, I don't know you. I know exactly what you've done, and I know what you're going to do when you come to me. You're still going to be disobedient. But you're mine. He will save you through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's free. It's free. And then He becomes your rock, your stability. How many times? He is my rock. He is my mighty rock. Not riches. He is my rock. 
He is the place I can stand when the whole world is going to hell. He is the place I can stand and I can trust that He is working all things for my good because Jesus is my Lord. No matter what, how I feel, no matter what the news is saying, no matter who's in office, no matter who's not in office, no matter how much is in my bank account, no matter what the doctor just told me, He is working all things for my good in Christ Jesus. Yes, that is a rock. It is a rock you can stand on and the winds of this world will blow against you, but you will be solid because of the rock that you're on. It is a rock. Stand there. Your phone will not give you that. Your work will not give you that. Sex will not give you that. Nothing will give you that but Him. Not even a four-month sabbatical will give you that. Hallelujah. Go to Him as your power. You have a God. I love it. Your God. I've been really working through um, this whole concept of weakness. And we're going to look at it in the fall. Uh, really the Beatitudes. You know, um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. What does it mean to be weak in the kingdom of God? It means to live a life believing that God's power is made perfect in my weakness. It means being vulnerable before you. It means making admissions like many like I've made this morning. I can make a whole lot more. And believing that, that the power of heaven and earth has me as his own and nothing can separate me from him. And he's a father who provides He's a Father that literally will provide for me. That's why I can take a day off. That's why I can take four months off. Maybe in four months I will be irrelevant. But guess what? Not to God. You see, that is power. To believe that you have a Heavenly Father that is your life is power that nothing else can give. And then finally, go to Him for love. Because that's what you're made for. You really want Facebook to love you well enough. You want Instagram to love you well enough. You want your job. You want sex. You want this. You want that. You want... Only God will love you enough. And He will. So David, facing intense circumstances in which he was mostly out of control, he went to God to get God. And he didn't go to people to get his power, nor his love. He said, I'm going to allow God to define me. And for God and God alone to be my identity. And I'm going to live from that center point in my life. It's my prayer that that's exactly where we are in this room this morning. It's my prayer that's where we will stay and remain And that we will begin to take necessary steps of repentance to get to that point. If you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never made that movement toward Him, I pray that you would. I pray that you would. And even during the offering, I'd love for our elders, community group leaders to come up and just pray. If you're seeing something in your life that you know you can't face alone, if you're like, man, I know I need to take a day off and I've never done that. I know I need to take four months off. Whatever it is. If your idol's been exposed, if God's beating on your heart, come up and let someone else pray with and for you. But let's not remain the way we are. Let's rest in God. And let's rest in Him.
alone. Amen.